I allow my mind just to kind of wonder. You know, I kind of uh, shift into neutral uh, mentally, uh, so to speak. And so uh, what usually happens is uh, the car is, is stopped and my mind is fluttering to where I have to go or maybe I begin a, a conversation with my, my wife. Hey, did you know about this? And uh, ladies, you know how men are. We can't really do two things at once. And so I'm supposed to be paying attention uh, to the light, you know, to wait for it to turn green. And uh, oftentimes I just miss it. And so the light turns green and uh, my wife usually graciously says, it's green, or hey, time to go, or hit the gas, you know, green means go, some kind of indicator that, uh, hey, the light has switched from red, which means stop, to green, which means you are free to now proceed. You know, uh, fellow brothers and sisters, did you know that because of the death of Jesus for our sins, His powerful resurrection over sin and Satan and death and his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, the place of all authority. We, as his followers, we who name the name of Christ, did you know that we too have a green light in front of us? We too have a green light in front of us. We have been given the green light to go and to share the gospel, to share the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ in all the nations. We sit in our proverbial car and there is a green light in front of us. And the question for us as individual Christians and the question for us as a church and the question for the church as a whole around the world is this. We have been given a green light, but are we sitting at the stoplight or are we going to go? Will we hit the brakes or will we hit the gas. Today, as we take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, I want us to see a a short but powerful account of Jesus, I think, modeling what it means for us to go on mission, sharing the good news of the Gospel as he did in his earthly ministry. So we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, running into into chapter 10. I want to give us just a little bit of the context. What's going on in the gospel of Matthew Matthew, as we uh, plop down here in chapter 9? Well, starting in chapter 8, we get a section in the gospel of Matthew where Matthew, one of the gospel writers, wants to emphasize to us the power and the authority of Jesus as our king. Jesus is our king, and he has all power and all authority. And in these several vignettes, we see Jesus' power and authority over several things. So if you look at the screen behind me, we see his power over disease. We see his power over the demons. We see his power over natural disaster. We see his power over the difficulty of the paralytic, chapter 9. We see his power over the disdain of of men, chapter 9, 10 through 17. We see his power over even death itself. We see his power over the darkness of the blind man. We see his power over the dumbness of the mute man. And then finally, starting in 9, verse 35, where we're going to be this morning, we see Jesus's power over his disciples. We see Matthew showing us that Jesus has power and authority over those of us who follow him, those of us who have been born again, those of us who are Christians. And in our section today, we're going to see him exercise his power over his followers by giving them the proverbial green light, right? To go out on mission to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. When you look at this little passage that Dan read, and and we'll see sections of it as we go through it, um, what stands out to me 
are the verbs. You know what verbs are, right? They're action words. And what really just stands out to me are the words that demonstrate what Jesus did. And I see three kind of groupings. I see uh, words that tell us words that tell us what Jesus saw. Matthew emphasizes that Jesus saw something, and we need to see something too. Matthew emphasized that that Jesus not only saw something, but he felt. He felt something, and we need to feel that too. And then Jesus did a few things, and we need to follow his example. So seeing, feeling, and doing from the example of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. So let's begin with what Jesus saw. Let's begin with what Jesus saw. So let's take a look in your Bibles or up on the screen and begin in verse 36. I know I'm missing 35. We'll go back to it. Verse 35 is essentially a summary of Jesus's ministry in the Galilean region. We'll come back to that because we see some important things that he did. But I want to begin with verse 36 because Matthew moves from this summary statement of his Galilean ministry uh, it's the, uh, the first of two that we see in Matthew. And Matthew emphasizes what Jesus saw. Let's take a look at the first phrase in verse 36. When, when he saw the crowds, right? So we get a summary statement in verse 35, and then we get a little vignette of what it was like, a particular moment in time of this Galilean ministry. When he saw the crowds, what did Jesus see here in this passage. I would suggest to you that Jesus saw three things. First of all, Jesus saw the lost. He saw the lost. When he saw the crowds, the text tells us that he had compassion on them. Why? What did Jesus see that caused him to have compassion? We'll get to the compassion in a bit. Well, verse 36b tells us, Matthew tells us that Jesus saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless. And then he tells us that the the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. So picture this. Crowds are everywhere. This is at the height of Jesus' ministry. He is attracting a whole slew of people. There are people everywhere. They're coming to him. It's the image that he's with his disciples. People are coming. And Jesus sees the crowds. And what he sees is a group of people that are lost. They are harassed and they are helpless. While the disciples most likely just saw their physical ailments. They saw a woman who was blind. They saw a little boy who was lame. They saw an older gentleman who was sick. They, they saw the physical needs of the crowd. And certainly Jesus did. We'll see that in a bit. But he saw more than that. Jesus saw more than their physical needs. He saw their spiritual needs. And Matthew emphasizes that. He says that, first of all, the crowds were harassed. It's, it's a term for being bullied. He sees the crowds, and he, and he knows their relationship with, with the religious leaders of the day. Matthew emphasizes the corruption and, and uh, the harshness of the religious leaders. And Matthew says that they're like, they're, they're like little boys being bullied at school. They are oppressed by their spiritual leaders who cared more about their prestige, more about their own power, more about their own possessions and position than about leading God's people and Matthew tells us that their, their spiritual leaders would load up the backs of the people of the day with a works-based righteousness, a works-based uh, path to God. And Jesus looks at the crowd, and he sees not a woman who is blind, but he sees that she's harassed, 
by her spiritual leaders. Not only that, he sees that they were helpless. In Greek, it's a word that literally means thrown down. So not only, only are they bullied, but they're thrown to the ground. They're in need. They are helpless. In other places, this word helpless uh, was used to describe a sheep that would get turned over on its back and be unable to get up on its own. In other words, it's a picture of utter helplessness. It's a picture of a person who spiritually was helpless, defenseless, in need of saving. This is a picture of the term that Matthew uses. Just a 10-second little clip. Let's watch it together. There you go. That is the image. That, it's just kind of funny, right? But that's the image that Jesus and Matthew use. He says, he looks at the people and he sees that they're like sheep with their feet waving in the ground. They can't save themselves. They're utterly helpless, right? He sees people as they truly are without him. Utterly helpless in their sin, utterly depraved, utterly lost and in need in saving. And then he adds, they were like sheep without a shepherd, right? They lacked true and good spiritual leadership. And so the question then becomes, do we see people like this? Do we see people for how they truly are? Do we see them not just as they are physically, but as they are spiritually lost in their sin, bound for hell without faith in Christ, powerless to save themselves from sin's power or sin's penalty? Or do we purely see them on a physical level? Do we purely see the car they drive and the house they live in and the clothes that they have on their back, whether they're healthy or whether they're sick, whether they're emotionally stable or whether they're uh, emotionally unstable? Do we purely see people? Do you purely see people? Do I purely see people on a physical level? Or do we see them as they are if they have no relationship with God through faith in Christ? Jesus looked and he saw lost people. But not only that, he saw the harvest. He saw the harvest. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest, as he sees this crowd of people coming to him, the harvest, he says, is plentiful. You see, Jesus not only sees people as lost but he sees that they can be found, right? He not only sees lost souls in need of a savior, he saw the potential of bringing many of them to faith in himself. He had used the image of a sheep and a shepherd in the verse prior, but now he uses a different image, an agricultural image, one we should be very familiar with. It's an image of a harvest and the reapers who would Bring in the harvest. And so get the image. People are coming to Jesus. He sees that they're lost, but he also sees that they can be found. He looks at the crowd, and he sees that each person is like a a ripe head of grain, ready to be picked, ready to be harvested, ready to be brought into the kingdom of God through faith in the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. Farmers, when you plant your seeds, right? Or maybe if you do a garden at home, when you plant your seeds, you do so in view of what? In view of the harvest, right? You do so in view of the harvest. Even when the seed is in the ground, you see the potential harvest, right? 
The same is true with Jesus. He sees lost souls, but he sees that they can be saved through him. Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, look at what people could be. Yes, they're lost. They need a savior. But boy, the harvest, oh, he says, the harvest is plentiful. If you could see what could be if they would place their faith in me. Jesus not only saw that people were lost, he saw that they could be saved. And thirdly, he saw the need for laborers. Notice verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, right? Jesus saw the harvest. But not only that, he saw that there was a great need for laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but, but what? But the workers are few. While Jesus saw the people surrounding him as a great potential, a great harvest of souls, he also saw that the workers, those who were to do the work of bringing them into the kingdom, were few. This is a problem, right? In other words, Jesus saw then what is still true today. The demand of those needing to hear the gospel is greater than the supply of those willing to share it. Did you hear that? The demand of those needing to hear the gospel is greater than the supply of those willing to share it. The heads of grain, he says, were golden. They were ripe for the taking. But he says many of those heads of grain, those lost people who could be saved, they would sit and they would rot in the field because there weren't enough reapers. There weren't enough reapers to go into the field with their sickles. So farmers, how would you feel? Local farmers in your own backyard, how would you feel if things were going so well, it was a great, uh, a great planting season and the, and the harvest is coming up and the plants look wonderful. It's the best you've ever seen. You're so excited. And then through some kind of terrible tragedy, you're unable to combine the fields. And many of the harvest, many of what was ripe for the taking, just goes unreached, unplucked, and it just sits and it rots in the field. How does that make you feel? It should turn your stomach because there was so much potential there that was unreached. Why? Because you, didn't, you couldn't get into the field for some reason. Friends, friends, this is how we are to feel when those who need to hear the gospel cannot hear the gospel because no one's willing to take it to them. That's how we should feel as well. Notice the amazing truth. Jesus is the great shepherd. Right? And then he lays down his life for the sheep, the image in the verse prior, right? Rescuing us from death and from hell. But it's those who become his sheep that then become the, the workers to go out in the harvest, right? So, so a saved sheep then should become a hired harvester, right? So you get saved, but then you should go out and help other people get saved. And so, friends, brothers and sisters, if God has saved you by his grace, then he calls us to be instruments of of telling other sinners about the same grace of God that we have experienced. There is still a need, a grave need, for laborers in the field today. And the question is, will we be one? Will we be one of those? Will we go on mission with Jesus? We will if we begin by seeing what Jesus saw. There are lost people. They can be saved. People need to go. We need to see what Jesus sees. But not only that, we need to feel what Jesus felt. Take a look at verse 36. We were told how Jesus felt when he encountered the crowds and saw what he saw. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had what, church? Compassion. He had compassion on them 
In Greek, it's the word, are you ready? Spelunknizomai. That's a fun one to say, right? Spelunknizomai. It simply describes having deep empathy or deep affection or, or having a strong emotional feeling. It's a noun counterpart, which is another fun word to say, spelunkna literally describes somebody's intestines, somebody's inward parts, their guts, so to speak. So what, how did Jesus feel when he saw lost people needing to be saved and there weren't enough workers to go into the field? Literally, you could say it hurt his guts. He felt deeply from the inward part. It grieved him. He had compassion on them, right? Jesus was moved by his innermost being by the spiritual state of lost people. You could say it hurt him. And here's where it gets difficult. Do we feel this way about people who have rejected the gospel or who have never heard the gospel? I'll be the first to admit that I often don't feel this way. I I don't feel as desperately sick about a person's lost condition and their eternal destiny as I should. Friends, I don't know about you, but this is extremely convicting. This is how Jesus felt. I want to feel that way. I don't know about you, but I want to. I heard a pastor who began a sermon this way. He said, I'd like to make three points. First of all, there are millions of people around the world who are going to hell. Second, Most of us sitting here today don't give a blank. Fill in your explicative about it. And then after a long pause, he continued. My third point is that you are more concerned that I, your pastor, said the word blank in church than you are about the millions of people going to hell. And he's right. We so easily get entangled in that which is temporary and convenient and comfortable, temporary matters of life, that we forget that there are people and there is a real eternal destiny. I want to share a story about a missionary. Pastor James Boyce tells the story of a missionary uh, who is a a minister to the Muslims in North Africa. Uh, Long story short, this woman had persisted in a faithful English-speaking ministry. uh, And there was one young pupil that she had tutored and shared the gospel with from a very young age uh, who had continually rejected the gospel. And so upon his 18th birthday, he was leaving, going off to college, and she requested one final meeting with the the then young man. And uh, so they had tea together and uh, enjoyed a good conversation. She pleaded with him to trust in Christ, and uh, he again refused. And so with tears uh, in her eye, she sent him off. And uh, as he was walking down, he made it to to the door, and he turned back to, to look at the face of his tutor, and he saw that there were tears streaming down this woman's face. And as the story goes, he returned to her home and placed his faith in Christ because he saw that like Jesus, she had compassion. She was moved by his lost state. Friends, may we be so as well. So we need to see what Jesus sees so that we can feel how Jesus feels. And then when we do those two things, we will do what Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? Three things that I see in this passage, and we'll move quickly. Verse 35, let's jump back to the beginning of the story. Jesus first and foremost preached the gospel. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, literally the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, The word gospel simply means 
good news. In fact, uh, in Greek culture, it described an emissary, uh, a messenger of the king, who after a a military victory of the king would go out into the, the cities and the provinces and would proclaim this good news. Good news! Good news! The king has won! There is victory! Good news! Friends, we have good news as well about our king, Jesus, right? He has won us the victory over sin and death, through his death and burial and resurrection. The other day, uh, I think it was maybe last weekend, uh, for us, weekends mean several things in our family, but one thing it almost perpetually means is uh, dessert night. Uh, we try to do desserts only on weekends, and so when the weekend rolls around, uh, both the kids and I, I'll be honest, uh, we look forward to dessert. And uh, one of the things we often do is uh, simple uh, make and break, uh, make uh, simple brownies, right? You just put them in, you mix them up, stick them in, right? Not from scratch, but it's really yummy. Brownie night, right? I look forward to brownie night. And so uh, uh, we, I had made some brownies with the girls, and uh, they like to help me mix it, right? And then they help me lick the bowl, of course, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's what, that's what happens. So they were done licking the bowl, and they go off to play. Go play. When you hear the, the oven go off, right? Beep, beep. Then you know that the brownies are done. So they, they're playing, and then and the, our oven goes off. Beep, beep. Beep, right? And uh, Piper, my second, uh, second child, she, she uh, hears the beep and she runs throughout the house proclaiming to whomever she can find in our little house, I've got good news! I've got good news! The brownies are ready! <laughs> right? Um, and I thought, yeah, we've got good news too. Friends, the good news is infinitely better than we have brownies ready to eat, Right? The ultimate good news of the gospel is that though we have sinned against a holy God and we deserve his eternal punishment, he has paid for our sins through his, uh, the sacrifice of his son, the sin bearer. And if we repent of ourselves and our sin and we trust in him and in him alone, we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life and so much more. This is good news, right? Jesus preached that good news. And it's interesting because that was his focus. That was what he focused on. Because in verse 35, and in in the other section in Matthew, we get this summary statement of Jesus' ministry. And it always begins with him preaching the gospel. That's always first. Because it was first and foremost. But second, Jesus met needs. Take a look at the end of verse 35. He went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And so, yes, the gospel is primary. The gospel is first and foremost. But Jesus met physical needs. He healed people's sicknesses. He restored people's illnesses, right? So we meet spiritual needs and we meet physical needs, but it's always in that order for Jesus. And it should always be in that order for us too. He preached the gospel. He met people's physical needs. And then third, He prayed for workers to go out into the harvest. Let's read verse 38. Ask the Lord, he said, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go out, excuse me, to send out workers, to send out workers into his harvest. Now, you may be thinking, well, Jesus didn't exactly, Matthew doesn't tell us that he prayed for the workers. He just, Matthew tells us that he told his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And and you're right. Matthew says that he told his disciples to pray. But Luke tells us, Luke tells us that after he told his disciples to pray, ask God to send out workers into the field that that very night, guess what he did? Luke tells us in Luke 6.12 that Jesus prayed all night long. 
He prayed all night long because the very next day, you know what he was going to do? He appointed the 12 apostles. And so, get the order. Men, group of, depo- group of, of followers, disciples, pray that God would raise up people to be sent out. They're sleeping. He's praying. He's praying that to his father. And the next day, guess what he does to 12 of them? He taps them on the shoulder. Hey, it's you, right? Hey, 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 it's you. Remember what you were praying? I told you to pray for workers to go out. And guess what? It's you. You are the one. You are the answer to your own prayers in this matter, right? And so, friends, we have to ask ourselves, do we pray as Jesus told us to pray? Do we ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest, both here at Grace Bible Church and across all of the nations and all of the world? Are we praying this in obedience to Jesus? And if we do, well, then we have to be careful. Because God, if we start praying that way, God may be tapping you on the shoulder. And he may say, hey, you've been praying that God would send out people into the harvest here at Grace. Hey, hey, you've been praying that God would send out harvest into, uh, into the har- people into the harvest in Chicago. Hey, he's going to tap you on the shoulder. Hey, you've been praying that people would go to Japan. And guess what? It's you. Guess what? You are going to be the one who answers your own prayers. So friends, if we want to go on mission with Jesus, we need to see what he saw and feel as he felt and then begin to do what he did. So we sit out of a light. And the light's not red. It's not yellow. It's green. Because of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Matthew tells us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, what's the next word? Go. Green means go, doesn't it? Therefore, you have a green light. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So, friends, we sit at at the light. And the question is, Will we kind of dawdle like I do? Will we be distracted? Will we have conversations and just let our mind wander? Or will we see the green light of the Great Commission and go? Whatever that looks like for you. We will do that. We will go when the light turns green only as we increasingly see how Jesus sees and begin to feel how he feels. And then we will begin to do as he does. Friends, the light is green. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, may we not dawdle at the wheel as I am accustomed to doing, being distracted by things that uh, probably are of less significance to you. Uh, Help us, we pray, to see that we all have this invitation to go, to be a part of this great commission, whether it's here uh, in our homes, whether it's by going across the street or across uh, uh, city city lines or, or county lines or state lines or across the ocean that you've called us to go and to be a part of this great commission to bring people into the fold so that people would see and hear and become followers of Christ. Father, we ask and pray as you taught us to, as the Lord, we beseech you as the Lord of the harvest that you would send out workers into your harvest field all across this world. And as we pray that, that we would be willing ourselves to go in obedience to that prayer. We ask it in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. Guys, thanks for being here. Invite you to lunch. See you next week.